Welcome back to the Grazia Life Advice Podcast. I'm Rhiannon Evans. Thanks as ever for joining me. In each of these episodes, we meet one woman worth listening to and hear six pieces of advice they live by. This time, one of the UK's biggest presenting names, a woman who, at just 22, became the youngest editor of the iconic Smash Hits magazine and then went on to be the first ever host of X Factor. Hi, I'm Kate Thornton. I'm a TV presenter, a radio host and a podcast host. We talk a lot in this episode about two people Kate's clearly very proud of and grateful to, her mum and dad. I didn't fear making mistakes because I knew that I had a home that I could always go home to that was full of unconditional love. No one was going to go, well, you're not coming back if that didn't work out. I was always encouraged to be brave and to try things and to fail. Also coming up, Kate's teenage struggle with an eating disorder and how she got through it. My parents had, by that point, worked out that I was unwell. It was killing them. It was it was awful. I heard my mum on the phone to the Samaritans, who were the only kind of people that you could call back then. And I heard her distress and I knew I was the cause of it. So I knew some, I knew it had to stop. And she won't be alone in this. She says the worst advice she was ever given was from a school careers officer. They're wheeling this person from Christ knows where, right? How do you qualify as a careers advice officer? What is your qualification? I don't even know to this day, actually. I sit down with this woman and I say, I'm going to be a journalist. Yeah. And she said, no, <gasps> no. Have you thought about something that's within your abilities? like a typing pool. We recorded this chat a couple of weeks ago before the schools went back. So as you'll hear, Kate was still in the middle of homeschooling. Let's get into it. Hi, Kate, how are you? Well, I'm locked down, but other than that, I'm okay. <laughs> how are you? I'm okay, I'm okay. You're, uh, we were just saying you are homeschooling. I am, but I can't, I, well, I'm on multiple WhatsApp groups. In fact, I've probably got more WhatsApp groups going than I know what to do with at the moment. And every single one of them is just full of the world of pain that is homeschooling. My son's 12 and his school have been really on it. I've been relatively lucky. I mean, sometimes I'll be doing something like this and he'll just pop in and go, have we got any ammonia for a science experiment? And you're like, no, (laughs) we have not. Who's asked for that? Or, you know, doing a, a, a live television show and he'll come and go, I need to make trifle in one hour for for food tech. I'm like, what? When, when? Oh. Yeah. So apart from that, it's been, I, I mean, it's been okay. It's not great for the kids. It's not great for them to be alone so much of their day, sat in front of it. Everything we try to discourage is now everything we're making them do. Sit in front of a screen all day. <laughs> How are you? Are you all right, Rhiannon? Yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm just here in my bedroom. I'm fine. I've still got nursery open at the moment as we speak. So we're all good here. You have a great podcast called White Wine Question Time, which I love. Um, Can you explain to people that don't listen to it what it's about and what you do? Well, we've just turned 100 episodes. So um, yes, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, feeling my centenary. Um, So basically the show is, I wanted it to be a reflection of the brilliant conversations that friends have up and down the country when you pop the cork on a bottle of wine. So, you know, sat at your kitchen island back in the days when we were allowed to socialise or in the pub. Hey, imagine now the way that you could sit down with a friend and start talking about, I mean, A and end up on Z and then everything else in between is just the beauty of a great conversation between friends. So when I started out with the podcast, I made sure that we always cast well-known friends and they all had to answer three thought-provoking questions and 
unless they don't drink, um, I try to punctuate every question with a glass of wine. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, I'm very into it. Does it always have to be white? No, you can drink what the hell you like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just it's just a chance to kind of like, you know, have a friendly conversation. I don't want to grill people and interview them. And often it, you end up, the show touches on so many different subject matters and we've had uh, over 250 guests now. Wow. Uh, because sometimes we have guests that come on on their own and then other times we have two or three guests at a time the most we did I think was all five members of Steps but on Christmas Day for example we reunited four of the cast members from Grange I Hill which that. was joyous yeah it was joyous I loved it I had Samo on the show and so when you're getting into all of these subjects of course you're a great person to host this because have you also you've also trained as being a counsellor as well which other people might not know yes I did when my son went to school and he's 12 now I wanted to see if I if I had it in me to learn to do something new. If I I'd never been to university, I went to journalism college when I was um, straight out of A levels, but only for a year. Uh, it's kind of all we could afford, really, by way of further education. And I was lucky enough to go straight into work after that, so didn't really need you know the huge debt that students are walking away from their degrees with now, thankfully. So when when Ben was four, I just thought, have I got it in me to learn? evolve of course we have maybe I was just having a bit of a sort of I don't know a moment with myself where I just thought what am I have I got it in me to be more than this am I just Ben's mum and somebody that walks and talks on telly and radio and I wanted to see if I could be more and therapy has been a lifesaver for me at very different points in my life and I wanted to do something that turned what skills I'd acquired and accrued as a broadcaster into something that was more helpful to others as I get older. And it's something that I would like to pick up professionally in my, God, it sounds awfully depressing, later years. (laughs) You know, when I'm older and nobody wants to look at this old boat thing on the the telly anymore, which is pretty much probably now. (laughs) No, I like. I mean, I, I think it's interesting because we know you so well. Like you've been broadcasting for so many years. People like me know you as, you know, an editor of Smash Hits and X Factor presenter. And I'm interested because your first piece of advice is don't be afraid to make mistakes. Whereas from the outside, it looks like you've just had the most fabulous career and and never really put a foot wrong. Tell me about that. Isn't it funny that you read it like that? My my career is littered with lessons that some people might deem failures. Or mistakes. This is something that became really important to me when uh, I became a mum. So much became important when I became a mum. But this particularly, and I don't want my son to be afraid to not learn from things going wrong. Because when things go really well, we tend to just kind of like, quite rightly, bask in the joy of it all. And you you don't sit there going, oh, how did that happen? You don't reflect and diagnose it really. And dig into it I suppose not diagnose sorry that's the wrong word but you know what I mean you don't pick over it in the same way that when something goes wrong you go how did it go wrong we beat ourselves up and we really shouldn't we really really shouldn't I think failing or what people deem as failing is learning and without that we just were stunted by way of personal growth so it's really important to me to keep learning and to try new things right not everything works trust me not you know not everything I've done has worked and the stuff that hasn't is what is what's really taught me loads, but it's taken me to a really interesting next place in my life. So if those if those lessons hadn't been there, those failures, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I really wish that there's there's sort of a language change that um, I'd love 
I'd love to see happen in my lifetime. So when I first joined Smash Hits, for example, we and you will have this on Grazia, you have like um, a house Bible, right? So it's your house style, kind of words you do and don't use, you know, what it is, it's whatever speaks and, and make creates the voice of your magazine. Yeah. I would like us to have that just as people. So I would hate, I'd like to see anti-aging turned into pro-aging because how can you be anti-something that is inevitable? Every minute, every day. By the time we both finish this podcast, we'll be older than when we started. So to put to be anti something that is just beyond anyone's control is it just feels like absolute bullshit to me. So I want to change the language on that, and I want to change the language around failing. They say we learn by our mistakes. So why are we so afraid of making mistakes? Is there a mistake that you could talk us through that has helped you learn and kind of explain how in practice that helped you get to a better place? Well, the fact that I qualified to become a counsellor was built on the experiences I'd had in therapy at a time when my life was going horribly wrong. So in the first instance, as a teenager with anorexia and bulimia, then the next time that I ended up sat across the table from a therapist um, was when I became a single parent. You know, that hadn't been in my life plan. I didn't think that I was going to be with a baby that wasn't even two years old. You know, the sense of failure was overwhelming. The sense of grief, not so much about the relationship breakdown between me and and my son's father as, as partners, but the fact that my son wouldn't have the family unit that I'd grown up with. So as much as it was the right decision for us to not be together, I didn't want him to not have what I'd had, which is a brilliant family unit that's that underpins everything that I am, and also gave me the guts to go back and going back to our that you know the, what this is about the fear of making mistakes. I didn't fear making mistakes because I knew that I had a home that I could always go home to that was full of unconditional love. No one was going to go. Well, you're not coming back if that didn't work out. You know, there was I was always encouraged to be brave and to try things and to fail. You know, if I hadn't gone to therapy when I did, and it wasn't even therapy, it was a GP that used talking as a, as a treatment rather than, you know, saying, you've got to eat. There was a lot of that. I mean, when I had anorexia and bulimia, there was nowhere near the level of education that sits around eating disorders today. So a lot of the advice was, well, just eat, you know, and not understanding that it's a mental illness. And I happened to be lucky enough to find somebody that didn't think like that. And I had a mum that also didn't think like that. And between the two of them, we talked me to a better place. And the power of speech and therapy and talking therapies is, is something I remain in awe of. So I feel like it saved me. And as I get on in life, I want to pay it forward, I suppose. It sounds a bit kind of Miss World, but I, I truly mean it. So it does feed into your second piece of advice, which is to trust your instincts, really, doesn't it? And keep trying to do things no matter what. So tell me about that and trusting your instincts. Well, I think sometimes in life, certainly when I was younger, my gut would go, don't do that. Don't don't do that. And then somebody who was sitting around me, ultimately in a professional capacity, I would imagine, or no, actually, <laughs> this also applies to my love life, I'm sure. Yeah, red flags go up. And all it takes is for somebody to go, yeah, but, you know, give it a go. And you just disregard your gut instinct. And I think life has taught me to listen to that. It's like an inner voice, isn't it, really? And it happened very recently. I was offered a job that I just I just, just didn't feel right. 
Now, on paper, I should have jumped at it, but it didn't work for my life. It it would have meant that I didn't get to be present for the, imagine we go back to a normal life, for the few hours that my son's home from school. In the evening where we eat together, he does his homework, I help him. That's our time. I would have been away for every single one of those days, Monday to Friday. I don't want to do that. So my instinct was saying, don't do it. Same thing happened when he was tiny and I was I was asked to host breakfast television. As a single parent, I thought, oh my God, this is going to consume our lives. You know, I'm going to have to go to bed at the same time as him, if not before. And he was tiny, tiny. I'll never get to take him to school. I'll be like jet lagged at the school gates when I pick him up. It felt like a brilliant opportunity, but also inside I was just going, it's not for me for now. The thrill of going on air and hosting two hours of live news and current affairs Every day, mixed in with lifestyle, is my dream gig. But it just, the time was wrong for me then. Now, probably, they, you know, nobody would be interested in booking me for that show now. And that's fine, because what I had in place of that was, I mean, I don't even need to close my eyes now to, to be there, walking to school, holding his hand, talking about his day with his little backpack on. You know, when you sort of transport yourself to your final hours on this earth, those are the moments that will provide me with comfort. So ultimately, it might not have been a great move for my career, but it was 100% the right move for my life and my my role as a mother. Um, so I have no regrets. Yeah. And your third piece of advice, tell me that because it does, it does feed into that. Um, become a mother. It's the best thing you'll ever do. I spent my early life saying I didn't, I, I wasn't bothered about having kids. And I wasn't really. I've always said that I'd never, I, I had no interest in getting married and I've never, I've never married. I, I had booked a wedding, but I did cancel it because I became pregnant and the dates clashed. So I've never made it up the aisle. And so I was always quite determined that, I, you know, I really wanted to work. I wanted to be, I wanted as a younger, like as a teenager, I wanted to be a career girl. It felt really exotic to me because where I grew up, Women had jobs, but not careers. Uh, and not really many men that I knew had careers. Everyone had jobs, you know, like you worked in a factory or you worked in a supermarket, or if you were really smart, you might be a teacher or a nurse, or if you're really, really smart, you might be a doctor. But where I grew up, there was no exposure to professions, I suppose, beyond kind of I've just described to you. So for me, as naive as it was, I thought I had to be one or the other. So I didn't realize that you could be a mother who had a career. And I think actually my age group are amongst, and, and, and maybe the, the women that are five, five, 10 years ahead of me, are the first people to be able to kind of crack that, to be able to do both. I was about to say have it all, but there's no having it all, trust me. Um, it's a constant juggle. So I think I sort of told myself that I didn't see myself as a mother because I saw myself uh, doing a job that I loved. I wanted to do something I loved every day. And my mum and dad really supported that. And then one day I wanted to have a baby and I knew it was the right time. And I was ready to not be top of any list in my life. I was ready to, to, to be there to love and support and raise another human being. And it just felt right. Um, so I wouldn't do it unless it felt right because it's, it's a life changer. But my God, it's the best thing I ever did. I ever, ever did. Mm. And you just, did that come to you quite suddenly wanting to be a mother? Was it literally you woke up one morning? People do say that's happened to them previously. But no, it wasn't actually. I slowly started to see people making it work 
and I could see that it wasn't a choice of one or the other. Uh, and I met a person, I met somebody that I thought, you know, was the right person to start a family with. And that, that wasn't the case. But thank God uh, we created a beautiful little boy who is it, literally, I just, I love him so much. My heart could explode even just talking about him now. Oh. I know you're all probably reaching for the sick buckets, but honestly, if I think of my life without him, it just doesn't, it doesn't even feel like it hits 5% full. Yeah. I think it's interesting though, the point you made as well about you saw some people doing it and that's the whole thing. You can't be what you can't see. And it's important to have. Role model. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like my mum worked, but my mum worked as a dinner lady at our school and then she did cleaning with my nan. And then she got a job on the tills at, at Sainsbury's and she got promoted to supervisor. And then she went and became an office manager at a scaffolding company. But I'm, I'm telling you now, if my mum had been born when I was born, she would be top flight career woman. She's super smart and she was never given the the opportunity to realize her potential. And that's true for so many uh, women of her generation, kind of post-war babies. And I know that she gets a kick out of what I do for a living and the fact that I have carved out a career and a profession. Um, and and I would I wish that that could have been as accessible to her. So I kind of I don't feel a responsibility to do it because if you just want to be a stay-at-home mum, you know, not just be a stay-at-home mum, Jesus, that's a job and a half. You're CEO of the family. Um, it's a hard job. It's a really hard job being, a, a, you know, a, a full-time parent. But for me, it wasn't as visible. I mean, I only saw it in places like the telly, you know, like Dynasty in Dallas, which was so ridiculously off my radar that I just... And there was nobody that I could go, I want to grow up to be like her. Just didn't see it. And then I did start to see it. I started to see it on news. I've always loved reading newspapers and watching the news, even weirdly as a child. And then suddenly I started to see more women with the female bylines and female news reporters. People like Kay Aidy, I thought, were like so intoxicatingly exciting because they were rare in terms of what I saw day to day. And I also went to a school where ambition wasn't particularly taught, which will take me on to another piece of advice that I'll get to later. Um, but I think there's huge, there's huge danger in that. Definitely. We'll be back with more from Kate after this. I'm here with Kate and we're already into your fourth piece of advice. Can you tell people what that is? We've kind of touched on it. One of my greatest pieces of advice would be get a great therapist if you need it. Some people will walk through life and never need somebody to check in with in that way. But what I try to to say to to all of my girlfriends and my family and people that maybe who are of a generation that are slightly resistant or suspicious of talking therapists, like you know, if I broke my leg, you take me to A and E. If my car broke down, we call the AA. So when your head isn't working in a way that feels good for you, why would you not go and check in with a specialist? It always used to frustrate me when I first switched to, to working in television. You do rounds and rounds of press and interviews. And, you know, I, I exclude Grazia in this because you guys are not guilty of it, but those women's magazines are obsessed with how much, how many calories do you eat? How many, you know, like just literally obsessing about a woman's appearance. And I always used to say like, my favorite body part is my brain. Please print that. It's the most important part because if that's not working, if that's not fit and well and healthy, everything else is kind of superfluous really. And a good therapist will help you 
to see the value in you. And that's what it like, it saved me. When I was, you know, sat there in the grips of, of an eating disorder, the one thing that was put to me by my doctor, who I'm going to call a therapist because no prescriptions were written, what she taught me was to harness all of the hard work that I'd poured into this eating disorder, the the incredible kind of self-control and willpower, if you like, that I was applying in such a negative way. And she just sort of said, because my grades were really dropping at school, and that would have therefore stopped me going on to become a journalist, which was the only thing I wanted to be. And she just said, you know, you're, you're, you're wrecking your life. You're smart. If you put all of this graft and, and determination into something positive and use your brain in the right way, you'll fly. You really will. But if you don't, you'll die. It's as simple as that. She said, but your brain is being starved of oxygen. So you're never going to hit the grades. You're never going to be best in class. You're never going to be the first to be picked for a job because you'll never be able to perform to the best of your ability. That and a combination of the fact I was exhausted and just felt like I was wearing this coat of guilt because my parents had by that point worked out that I was unwell and it was killing them. It was it was awful. I heard my mum on the phone to the Samaritans, who were the only kind of people that you could call back then. And I heard her distress and I knew I was the cause of it. So I knew some I knew it had to stop. But I I was so used to being so determined and I had this willpower, but I had to put it somewhere else. So it wasn't a case of freeing myself of all of those qualities. I just had to put them in a better place. And I think I've managed to do that pretty much ever since. Yeah. And as you say, it's about speaking to the right person at the right time, getting that help and and never been more important now, really, I guess. A lot of people struggling oh now. and So important right now. And there are loads of people out there at the moment who are volunteering their services. So even if you're thinking, I haven't got the money for you know, it, you don't treat it like a luxury. Like, it, it, trust me, if your leg was broken, you'd go to A&E. There are people offering free counselling at the moment. Take it. If, it. if it's going to help you, it really can make the most magnificent difference, as it did with me. So, yes, my my advice is always I try to um, destigmatize therapy. And I think it has come such a long way in my lifetime. Even since I studied and qualified, people... Uh, will quite I'll, I'll happily say like you know when you're trying to schedule zoom calls it's like um well should we do a zoom at six? Oh, I can't I have therapy on Thursday and you're like oh brilliant okay well you probably won't want to do zoom after therapy <laughs> no I'll probably go and sit in a bath you know yeah. and it's that it's 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 so lovely to hear it stitched into our everyday conversation yeah I couldn't put it better and I love your fifth piece of advice. This is really one that I love. It's, uh, you say the world is full of great books, so read as many as you can. Oh, is that just a passion of yours? 150 billion percent. Mm. I think that there's two things that I really love and I'm drawn to, and that's books and music. And as much as I'm a writer, I don't think I've got it in me to write great fiction. I could write an autobiography. I could write a, a, fa- a, a factual book. And that allows me to just enjoy great fiction because... Otherwise, I'd be trying to do it. That's just my personality type. I'd be thinking, oh, I wonder if I could try this. And it sucks all the joy out of it. Like, I can't watch uh, the sort of shows that I present without sort of going, oh, that was a bit of a hard edit. Oh, maybe I would have asked that question differently. <laughs> and you can't just be like, it's like so annoying. So for me, and like the same with music, I'm tone deaf, but I love music. So I can lose myself in a book and a great piece of music because I can allow myself to just relax into it and books are uh, you know that's where I uh, that's where I learned to write was through reading 
bizarrely. I mean, we were never taught creative reading at uh, writing at school, and I left school being unable to spell. Really, which is quite interesting. Yeah. And of course, so from like you're an editor, you were the editor of the biggest magazine in the country. Yeah. And I couldn't spell when I left, uh, when I went in to do my A-levels. Right. Yeah. Uh, Massive gaps in my, in my ability to spell. And I'm not dyslexic or um, dyspraxic or anything. And, you know, there's nothing there that, that would prevent me from being able to do that. It's just, it wasn't taught, but where I learned my vocabulary was reading and my mom is a bookworm. So I grew up seeing somebody get up in the morning and if she had 10 minutes before she left for work, would sit and read a book. The moment she got home, she would sit and read a book. If I'm in the middle of a really good book, I have been known to take it into the shower in a <laughs> in a sandwich bag. No. Because I'm like, got to get showered, but I can't leave the book here. But the world is full of amazing books and you'll never run out of great things to read and it stretches your mind and your imagination and my favorite shops are bookshops to this day and I remain in all like anybody that I have on the podcast I always research my guests a hundred you know 150 percent but every guest that comes on the show that's written a book I read the book I think that's just that's just respect if you've got it in you to write a book I've got it in me to read it (laughs) What are you reading right now? What's on your bedside table? Okay, so right now I am reading uh, Richard Osman, Thursday Murder Club, which I love. He's such a good writer. What a turn up for the books. I mean, I love Richard and I've, I've, I've been on shows with him, but my God, he's good. And I can see why, I mean, Steven Spielberg has snapped this up. It's brilliant. And it's just what I needed for right now. Because sometimes you can pick up a brilliant book, but it's not where what you need in that moment. It might be too dark. It might be too light. So I'm doing Richard Osman at the moment, but I have just finished uh, Delia Owen, Where the Crawl Dads Sing. And that was beautiful. Love that book. So I could do a book. You know, I could sit here and recommend books to you all day long. Yeah. And your sixth piece of advice is from no less than Audrey Hepburn. So tell us that. I guess, I mean, it plays into a lot of what we've discussed. So I think the quote here is, there's no such thing as impossible. The very word says, I'm possible. I think it's really important for us to realise that actually the only sometimes the only thing stopping you is you, for a start. If I had listened to what I was told... I could and couldn't do by way of possibilities for me. I would never be who I am and what I am now. We weren't taught ambition at school. We were taught restraint, kind of, you know, stay in your lane. I have a huge resentment of that. You know, I I don't think it's alive and kicking in our school system now in the way that it was. But I always felt like somebody was trying to put a lid on me and I was always absolutely determined to blow the lid off and I remember hearing that that quote from Audrey Hepburn and thinking yeah actually when you break it down the word says I'm possible it's all about how you frame it and that's so true of everything in life you know it really is it's you know it's how you look at things it's like goes back to what we were talking about failures and mistakes don't look at them as that look at them as lessons and see the value in them. And the same applies here. Don't look at anything as being an impossibility. Look at the fact that you are entire, it is entirely possible that you can do something if you really want to. And it's fine if you don't want to do something. 
you know, I think it's really important that we pour that in people's heads and ears from a very early age. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it does start from early and it, it goes into your, we like to ask people what the worst piece of advice they've ever been given is. And yours was, it feeds into that yours. You were told, you know, oh, you can't be a journalist, weren't you? Yeah, I was told. I went to see the careers advice officer at school and I said, I want to be a journalist. Now, I had a brilliant English teacher called Mr. Pugh, who I'm still in touch with to this day. Um, He saw my potential. And thank God I had him. And I had two parents that were like, she said what? (laughs) Um, So between them, I was able to dismiss this piece of advice. But you know, we're raised to respect authority. So when a teacher says to do something, you do it, right? They're wheeling this person from Christ knows where, right? What? How do you qualify as a careers advice officer? What is your qualification? I don't even know to this day, actually. And I sit down with this woman and I say, I'd, I'm going to be a journalist. And I'd already done work experience on my local paper. You know, I would really got out. I, I, was, I wasn't just sat there going, yeah, you know, one day. I was, I was really trying to make it happen. Yeah. And she said, no, no. Have you thought about something that's within your abilities? Like, <gasps> a, like a typing pool. A typing pool? You know, speak to me now. Nobody's working in a blooming typing pool. The job doesn't even exist. So I went home from school. And when I, like my mum and dad were a brilliant team. My dad worked nights and my mum worked days. So there was always somebody at home for us. So it meant that when we got in from school, my dad was at home because my mum was at work. So I'd walked in and he went, how'd it go with your careers advice officer today? And I said, well, you know, she said, and I recounted it to him and he was furious. And I think my mum and dad, both of them, neither of them wanted for me or my brother what their, their professional experiences had been, which was jobs they didn't love. They just wanted us to do something we loved that made us feel like we never worked a day in our lives, you know. And there was this woman telling me, that I can't be, you know, and and he knew that Mr. Pugh thought that I had something. So he marched up the school and had to go at her. Good. Livid. But good. Yeah. Really good. Because she put a ceiling on a child's dream. Now I know. It's such a young age. Yeah. And I was like 15, 16 at the time. Mm. It could have knocked my confidence. And I was ill. I was, you know, still very much in the grips of an eating disorder. It's something that I carry with me to this day. And if anyone said to my son anything like that, I'd do exactly what my dad did and go and remind them of their responsibilities because you have to dream big. You know, if you haven't got a dream, what have you got? Especially in these times, you know, right now my dream is that we can all sit together again at a table. It's a simple dream. But back then it was, I want to get out of this town. I want a career and not a job. And... I didn't see it. I had no illustration of that around me. And then this woman turns up and I think maybe she's it. Maybe she'll like unlock. She's got the key to Pandora's box that will open up this world of possibility. And she's like, no. And I thought, well, you're a bloody disappointment. Yeah. Well, you don't remember her name. And thank goodness for your parents and for Mr. Pugh, because it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you today, Kate. All of those pieces of advice are great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So lovely to have Kate Thornton on Grazia Life Advice. So impressive in all that she's done and achieved. And if you want to hear more from Kate, do go check out her podcast, White Wine Question Time. It's really good fun. As we always say, please, please, if you can, help us out by leaving a rating and review for the show in your podcast player. 
And you can help us too by spreading the word. If you know anyone who you think would like to be introduced to the show, please do tell them about it. It really helps. Thank you. See you next time. We'll be with Maiden Chelsea's Georgia Toffolo. I went out with the chap when I was about 17 and got quite into dubstep. He used to like garage <laughs> and I used to call it garage and he was like, you're just awful. And well, the relationship didn't last. We had a we had a bit of a laugh, but I'm just not that type of girl. I just like, if I like my music, I like a bit of 90s, you know, a bit of cringe. But I'm telling you, it's good life advice. <laughs> It'll be another good one. See you then.